Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your word. Yes, Lord, at times we do not tune into your word and listen to your still small voice. Lord, I pray now that as we are assembled here in your house, that your sweet still spirit would speak into our hearts and come and abide with us so that we can love you more and serve you better. Bless us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last Sabbath, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. The truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A gift of love, a gift of joy, and peace to the world. One minute, let's get this, yeah. We who profess to have been called by his name have accepted that beautiful gift, believing we are forgiven, cleansed, accepted, alive, saved, and empowered to live for him now and eternally. Today, I want to share with you the joy and gratitude that comes from knowing what we are and can be in Christ Jesus. The truth that whoever believes in Christ Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. Today, many genuine and honest believing Christians are unsure about their present status and standing in Christ Jesus. They are not sure about their salvation because they are yet to be judged. When one is questioned as to one's present and accepted relationship in Jesus Christ, there is hesitancy, perhaps unsureness, perhaps a note of unawareness in the person's response. The Apostle Paul sets forth the fact to explain who we are in Christ Jesus. Any psychologist will tell you that the basic solution to any mental problem is one of identity. The basic crisis of our day is an identity crisis Wherever one goes, an ID is needed. We must know who we are. So Paul is very careful to set forth exactly who we are in Christ. Today, we are going to take a good look at what we are only and because of Christ Jesus. This was one of the burdens of Paul when writing his letter to the Ephesians. 
the recurring phrases found over 34 times in his letter to the Ephesians are in Christ, in Christ Jesus, with Christ, in him, in himself, in whom, in the beloved. Examples of what we are in him are found and quoted frequently by Paul in his epistles, especially Ephesians, from chapters 1 to chapter 6. The apostle is emphasizing that everything that is the Christian's privilege and potential is only because of the saving Lord Jesus. For our consideration today, we look at four of these assuring facts of the gospel. I've got uh, quotes from the New King James Version and the NIV too. It's not to compare one with the other, but just to bring out the message that I want to convey to you. And so the first fact that we're going to is found in the New King James Version. I've got them all on the screen, so you can follow me there. It's, and I hope you can read it. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And Paul says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us what? Accepted in the beloved. The reason we are accepted in him is not because we are wonderful or good. Not even if we had or will have good intentions. He did this freely and because he is good. We cannot understand how God chooses us, yet we decide too. God chooses us, and we choose him. He decided to make us his children, and we decided to become his children. Listen to what John says in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and reading from the NIV. John says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but of God. Did you get that? Listen, that simply means the person who has admitted one's sinfulness, repented and confessed one's sins and transgressions, and who has reached out to the saving of Jesus Christ, that one is accepted by God because he or she has genuinely accepted Jesus as Savior. Listen to what Jesus promises in John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, 37, and this is from the first uh, King James Version. New King James Version. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me 
I will by no means cast out. Listen to what the NIV says in the same John chapter 6, verse 37. And John says, all that, actually this is Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He made us accepted. Listen to what he says, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21, from the New King James Version. Paul says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the same thing in the NIV says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the NIV says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John and Paul are saying that what the Father gives the Son, he, Jesus, gives to those of us who are in him that we might become the righteousness of God while remaining in Christ. In the book, Steps to Christ, page 62, we read, He, Jesus, lived a sinless life. He died for us, and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been for his sake, you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. You are accepted in the beloved. Fact number two, sorry, fact number two is found in Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Ephesians chapter two, verse four, and uh, two, verse seven. And this is from the New King James Version. And Paul says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Two majestic words. But God. But God. If God had not stepped in and intervened, we would be still dead in sin and on our way to hell. 
But God did step in, not because we had reformed ourselves and made ourselves better people and more lovable. No, God stepped in simply because he loved us. Out of his mercy and his grace, he saved us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in the NIV, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you see the connection? The together? And note the emphasis in the NIV translation of verse 6. I'll put it on the screen. The NIV reads, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, that is with God the Father, in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So, the question is, where is Jesus now? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where Jesus is now. Let's read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. And Jesus speaking says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Is this something yet to happen to Jesus and therefore to us in future? No, it's now. Now, note that all these facts of gospel truth recorded in the above scripture text are indicated in the past perfect continuous tense, meaning something that has occurred in the past and continues into the present. The question is, why all this? Why did Jesus do what we just read? The answer comes to us in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. And the answer is that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice here, the future tense is used. That in the ages to come, 
throughout the endless ages of eternity, believing and saved saints will be heaven's exhibit A to reveal to the universe the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What do we say? Amen. If only we could see our lives as God sees us. If only we would live our lives from the throne. Fact number three is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All this has been done for us in Christ Jesus. It is the gift of God. Yes, we are prepared to assert before all adversaries that salvation is not a works. But we also confess that we are justified by a faith that produces works. And if any man has a faith which does not produce works, it is a faith of a devil. We are saved by faith without works, but not by a faith that is without works. For the real faith that saves the soul works by love and purifies the character. Here Paul emphasizes that even our good works, subsequent to salvation, comes only from God. Let's read that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 again. And it says there, For we are his workmanship. Sorry, got that wrong. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because he rescued me from an awful punishment, I should delight to do his will. So, grace is God doing for us what we cannot ever do for ourselves. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, Paul, uh, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not only is it amazing and humbling what God has done for us, but even more marvelous is what he promises and guarantees that he will do for us. The apostle states that 
those who are saved by grace through faith become God's work in progress. Read that again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Regardless of our earthly status, this redemption in Christ brings us all into a unique and sacred unity. Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 and 20 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. To see the connection, the with Christ Jesus it all happens because of him and in him. And Ephesians chapter 2 verses 21 and 22 says, In him, sorry, in him, the whole building, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together and rises to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's review the four facts. The first fact is we are accepted in the beloved. The second is made us alive together, raised us together, made us sit together with Christ. Number three is we are created in Christ to do good works, a gift of God. And fact number four is in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. But the big question is, what if, what if, what if after I've accepted Jesus as my Savior and God has accepted me, what if I sin? What then is my status and standing with God? Paul, through inspiration, gives us the answer in Romans chapter 7, verses 14. 225. I hope you can read that. Paul says, For we know what that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. But sin that dwells in me, but now, no, sorry, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. 
but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. And verses 22 onwards, it says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul goes on to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And as one reads the context of these verses, one realizes that Paul is speaking of his warfare with sin after the Damascus Road experience. Have you felt that way sometimes? The inborn tendency to evil is a propensity we have to deal with. The Clearwood Bible paraphrase of Psalms 58 verse 3 says, Wickedness is a part of man's nature from the time he is born. His inclinations are tilted towards self as soon as he comes out of his mother's womb. He can lie from the day he opens his mouth to eat. Listen to what Sister White says in uh, Christ Objects Lessons, page 160. She says, none of the apostles or prophets ever claimed to be without sin. Men who have lived nearest to God, men who would sacrifice life itself rather than knowingly commit a wrong act, men whom God had honored with divine light and power have confessed the sinfulness of their own nature. So will it be with all who behold Christ at every advanced step in Christian experience, our repentance will deepen. Listen to what she says in Steps to Christ, page 57. She says, the character is revealed not by occasional good deeds and occasional misdeeds, but by the tendency of habitual words and acts. But now don't go say to yourself, I will do this wrong thing just this one time. Because you will be putting God to the test. But biblically speaking, not all sin is the same. David was a good case in instance to understand this fact. He is called a man after God's own heart. However, when he knowingly sinned with a double transgression, he knew he was a lesser person. And note what he asked for forgiveness in Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. David's cry is, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
And he also says in Psalms 51, verses 1 and 2, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For sin, transgression, and iniquity. He confesses all and asks for forgiveness and cleansing. Sin is missing the mark, making a mistake. Transgression is a deliberated, premeditated act, knowing what is wrong, but choosing to do it in spite. Iniquity is to be steeped in crooked perversion of behavior, regardless of the consequences of such. Listen to what Sister White tells us in Steps to Christ, page 13. She says, God does not regard all sins as of equal magnitude. There are degrees of guilt in his estimation, as well as in that of man. But however trifling this or that wrong act may seem in the eyes of men, no sin is small in the sight of God. In this context, we can understand perhaps what John is saying to those who were his converts to Christianity in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 2, verse 2. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his work, word has no place in our lives. Chapter two, verse one says, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What then about the judgment? And the believer, does this mean that once saved, one is always saved? Does this mean that the believing, accepted person in Christ can think, speak, choose, act, and live as he pleases? No, 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 a thousand times no. The counsel gives, given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Again, in the book Steps to Christ, page 64, we read, There are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ, and who really desire to be children of God, yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life faulty, and they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. To such, I would say, 
do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, nor forsaken and rejected of God. No, Christ is at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. And I quote, You and I are a work of God in progress. What God has done for me, he now does in me. And all this is a gift from God through Christ Jesus, an act of grace. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine, he is preparing you and me for heaven. While ever you remain in Christ, you are accepted, saved, and empowered by God. Here is the truth of the matter in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John, sorry. I got that right. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Those who are in Christ are justified, sanctified, and being progressively sanctified and made ready for eternal life with God. This is how Jesus put it in first John and sorry in John chapter 5 verse 24. Jesus said, "Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has finish it for me, everlasting life, and believes in me, sorry, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, he who believes him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, for men love darkness rather than light. Fellow believers, in Christ, the forensic legals have been completed for the Christian and the believing Christian. It was accomplished for us in his sinless life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, and his interest, intercessory ministry for you and me. What happens then in the pre-advent judgment before Christ returns is an affirmation of what has already transpired for us 
as believers here and now, this side of eternity in Christ Jesus. All this being so, then why do we live such spiritually impoverished lives? Why don't we live our lives as God sees us? Why don't we live our lives from the throne as princesses and princes of God? What do you, what do I need to do is to explore and discover God's superabundance. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul said, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God, know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul goes on to say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen. Wow. That is super abundance in Jesus. Maybe there are some here who have not known or experienced the superabundance. If you want to experience this superabundance in Jesus, there is only one thing you have to do. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord today. Maybe some of us need to recharge to have a closer, a sweeter walk and experience with God. Your presence here today tells the Almighty that you do want a closer and sweeter walk with him. Jesus made it possible for you to be connected to him here now and through eternity. We are on the verge of another new year in our lives. Praise God. Thank God. As we enter that new year, let us move forward with confidence, knowing that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Happy New Year and God bless you.